Can you dig it? All right, John chapter 19. If you guys have been, um, have been following along with us, we're, we're teaching through the gospel according to John. We've been doing that all year. We're now in John chapter 19. There's only 21 chapters in the whole gospel account, which includes Jesus' birth, um, his, his ministry life, which is like two and a half to three and a half years, depending on how you kind of calculate it. And then the majority of the end of it is the last week of his life. So we've been looking at a lot of things that pertain to the last week of Jesus' life. It included him coming into Jerusalem for the Passover, which is one of the big celebrations that Jewish people do. I mean, we do Christmas, we do Easter, we do things. We, do, we have seasons, they have seasons. One of the big ones is Passover, and, and all the people would come to Jerusalem for the Passover. Jesus comes to, to Jerusalem for the Passover, and he actually is the Passover. They're going to find out. So he, we, we've been looking at this. Um, it jumps from this first time, him, the triumphal entry. You might have heard of that when Jesus enters into Jerusalem. That's what it's talking about. The triumphal entry is him, his, the last week of his life, entering into Jerusalem. And then it, it, it kind of jumps in John to the last Thursday. It kind of jumps through the week. And then we have the Last Supper. And most people have heard about the Last Supper. Jesus has this meal with his disciples. And then he, has, he, he goes through about four chapters called the final discourse it's the last things that he's saying to his disciples before he's going to die and 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 rise from the dead and then ascend to heaven he gives lots of great advice we walk through all of that and then that night thursday night he spends that night with his disciples in this garden in jerusalem called the garden of gethsemane he prays he's having a really hard time He's having a panic attack, an anxiety attack. Literally, he sweats blood, which if, if, if you're a medical person, you know that's actually possible. When you, when you have an anxiety attack, like, like the most extreme, you'll literally, blood will start to use the, the, this what's called osmosis and get into your sweat glands, and you'll actually sweat blood. And Jesus does that. It's showing how hard what he's about to face is for him. It's really hard, even for God. And then... One of his 12 betrays him. We, we, we know that, right? We say, don't be a Judas Iscariot, right? Because one of them betrays Jesus. He shows up before it's even dark. I mean, before it's even light. He shows up, and he's got some Jewish leaders and some Roman soldiers with him. And it's obvious he's betrayed Jesus. And he points Jesus out. Jesus goes with them. They go to the Jewish leaders first. The high priests, Annas and Caiaphas. These are Jewish leaders. They're the... They're the but, but, but here's the thing, the Jewish leaders aren't really in charge at this time because Rome is. So he goes to these Jewish leaders and they try to figure out a way to accuse him, but they can't crucify him. So they need to go a step further and then they take him to the Roman governor, his name is Pontius Pilate. They take him to, to this Pontius Pilate and they're trying to get Pontius Pilate to see what they see, that Jesus is a problem and he needs to be crucified, that he deserves to be crucified. Well, we look at last week, Pontius doesn't see it the way they do. He says he's innocent. I don't see any reason to crucify him. But there's a little bit of a tension because uh, Pontius Pilate is, is in this position where the Roman emperor Tiberius is a really cruel guy, and he's all about loyalty. And the Jewish people are trying to make it like Jesus is, 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 is waging war against Tiberius. And if Pontius Pilate supports that, actually he could be in trouble. 
And they're trying to put him in this place, this rock and this hard place. Pontius Pilate doesn't want to crucify Jesus, but he goes along with it. And he gives him over to be crucified anyways. We see that. Crucifixion is probably one of the, actually one of the Jewish historians of the day, Josephus, said that, that crucifixion is the most horrendous death that you could face. Tiberius himself wouldn't allow any Roman citizen to be crucified. It just was, it was too gross. There's a word that was invented that we all know just to describe how painful it is to be crucified. It's excruciating. That's where that word comes from. It's describing what it feels like to be crucified. When you get crucified, it was a long process. It, in, it included what call, what's called the vibratio, which is a beating that was supposed to literally beat you to almost to death. They would, and I, I know this is, is hard, but this is true. This is what we're going to see. It's going to say they, went, they crucified him. I'm going to read a large chunk. It's going to say they crucified him. It meant all of this. It meant they were going to strip him naked. They were going to tie Jesus around a post. They were going to whip him with a special whip. Four Roman soldiers, buff, strong, and angry, and hated Jews. And Jesus is a Jew, and probably bored. And you know, you know how guys are when they get around each other, and you get the little mob mentality. And they, and they have, this, they have this, this whip, and they're whipping him. This whip had bones, and it was designed to where it would, it would sti- stick into his flesh, and so when they pulled it off, it would tear. And they would do it over and over and over again until they were tired, or until someone said stop. Most people died from that during crucifixion before they ever got to crucifixion. And then you're going to see the, they, they took Jesus and they, and, they, and, they, and they nailed him to an upright bar. If you've ever seen him walking with a whole cross, that's not what happened. It was just a big, huge, like probably six by eight foot uh, or eight inch um, plank. And he would walk like this with just one upright bar. They would walk him all the way to the cross, however far it was after that beating, and naked through the town, everybody yelling at him, spitting on him, every, doing that. They would walk him this way, and then they would have a hoist. They would, they, would, they would take this upright, and they would put it on a hoist, and they would pull him up. It would lift him up, and, it would, and they would put him on the upright post that was already in the ground. They would nail that together, and then they would nail his feet in there. There was also one little stick that would come up, like, a, like right here so you could sit on it because they didn't want him to tear off the cross. That would be too much mercy. Every, every time he would lift up, he wouldn't be able to breathe, so he would have to lift himself up, take a breath, and then come back down in the pain. He would die from crucifixion, either from the shock from, from losing too much blood and going into, 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 into like blood loss shock, or or when he had no more strength to lift himself up, and then he would suffocate, he wouldn't be able to breathe. That's, that's, that's excruciating. That's what happens to Jesus on this day. And what we've been looking at is there's nothing pretty about this. This is not pretty. But what John wants you to see is that it is beautiful. There's nothing pretty about it. But there is something beautiful about it. And that's why we look at it. What's beautiful about this? What was Jesus doing? Why was Jesus doing? Just like baby dedication, why you do what you do is what matters. Why Jesus is doing this is what matters. And so I'm going to read a long chunk, and the reason why we're going to read this long chunk is because if, if I missed any piece of what I'm going to read, you're going to miss the big picture that John wants you to see. So John chapter 19, 
starting in verse 16, and we'll read all the way through verse 37. So I invite you guys to read, to, to just listen, think. Starting in verse 16. So, he, so Pontius Pilate delivered Jesus over to them to be crucified. All of those things we described, that's what he means. So they took Jesus, and he went out bearing his own cross to the place called the place of the skull, which in Aramaic is called Golgotha. There they crucified him, and with him two others, one on either side, and Jesus between them. Pilate also wrote an inscription and put it on the cross. It read, Jesus of Nazareth, the king of the Jews. Many of the Jews read this inscription, for the place where Jesus was crucified was near the city, and it was written in Aramaic, Latin, and Greek. So it was in the city. Everyone saw this. It was, it was in the town center. This wasn't in a secluded place. This wasn't designed to embarrass Jesus, to kill him publicly. And they wrote it in the language that every single person would have known. So the chief priests of the Jews said to Pilate, Do not write the king of the Jews, but rather write, This man said, I am the king of the Jews. Pilate answered, What I have written, I have written. When the soldiers had crucified Jesus, they took his garments and divided them into four parts, one part for each soldier, also his tunic. But the tunic was seamless, woven in one piece from top to bottom. So they said to one another, let us not tear it, but cast lots for it to see whose it shall be. This was to fill the scripture which says, they divided my garments among them, and for my clothing they cast lots. So the soldiers did these things, but standing by the cross of Jesus were his mother and his mother's sister, Mary, the wife of Clopas, and Mary Magdalene. It's a lot of Marys. When Jesus saw his mother and the disciple whom he loved standing nearby, he said to his mother, Woman, which was a term of endearment, not like a rude, Woman, mother, behold your son. Then he said to his disciple, who's the author of this book, John, Behold your mother. And from that hour... The disciple took her to his own home. After this, Jesus, knowing that all was now finished, said to, fulf to fulfill the scripture, I thirst. A jar full of sour wine stood there. So they put a sponge full of the sour wine on a hyssop branch and held it to his mouth. When Jesus had received the sour wine, he said, It is finished. And he bowed his head and gave up his spirit. Since it was the day of preparation, and so that the bodies would not remain on the cross on the Sabbath, it would take three or four days at some times to, to die this crucifixion, but they didn't have that kind of time. For the Sabbath was a high day. The Jews asked Pilate that their legs might be broken and that they might be taken away. So the soldiers came and broke the legs of the first and of the other who had been crucified with Jesus. But when they came to Jesus and saw that he was already dead, they did not break his legs. But one of the soldiers pierced his side with a spear, and at once there came out blood and water. He who saw it has borne witness. His testimony is true, and he knows that he is telling the truth, that you also may believe. For these things took place 
that the scripture might be fulfilled, not one of his bones will be broken. And again, another scripture says, they will look on him whom they have pierced. So there's something beautiful in here, but it is far from pretty. And if you look at this, there's a lot of things in here. I mean, I could have spent really months teaching on this passage, but what I want you to see is I want you to see a big picture that John wants you to see of something about this moment in history that literally what John wants you to see is this is the central moment in history. The crucifixion is the center moment of all of time. It's as if, have you ever, um, have you ever gone to a pool and, uh, and, and no one's been in the pool and it's all like, you know, it's, they'll all, I'll, I'll paint the picture. Okay, so there's a pool, you're there, you're a little mischievous, so now we're probably talking about people like me, and, and, you're, and you're, your mom's right here, right? She doesn't want to get wet because she's got her hair dead, right? And so what do you, and it's nice, I like glass, so what are we going to do, guys? We're not just going to jump in, we're going to cannonball and get my mom wet, right? So imagine you run in and you jump and you cannonball in, and in my mind, it's just perfect water, right? So it's a big splash, but then what happens? Ripples. Ripples go this way, this way, this way. They go every way, ripples of water and waves from this one action. John wants you to see that this is a cannonball in history that rippled backwards and forwards and will continue to ripple for eternity. So the first thing in your notes that you'll see is that Jesus, John points out that Jesus here is fulfilling prophecy. Jesus is fulfilling prophecy. If you noticed four times, he says, this was done to fulfill the scriptures. How many of you guys think that, um, how many of you guys are impressed by like, like shows, like magic shows? I totally am, right? Like there's this one guy I remember, I think it was like Blaine or whatever, and he would have like cards and put like cigarettes through there and coins and stuff. I don't know how he did that. I'm not going to follow him, but I was impressed, right? I just think that stuff's interesting, right? But here's the thing. What if somebody could predict their birth, the details of their birth, 700 and 1,000 years for multiple people could predict their birth, the details of their birth, the city that they would be born in, the details of who would be there, right? Would that be impressive? That's pretty impressive. What if somebody could predict their death, the day they would be death, and then, and then all of the details? See, this, there's something interesting here. It wouldn't be that impressive because everybody could predict their death, right? Does that, that's, that's what they say, right? There's two things that we're guaranteed, right? Taxes and death, right? So it's, I'm not saying that, okay, Jesus said he's going to die. Like, oh, wow, and he did, right? Everyone in history could say that. But what we're going to look at is some, some incredibly detailed prophecy about this Jesus' death that I don't, I don't, you couldn't do. So let's look at them. By the way, there's so many prophecies, but John specifically picks these four, I think, for a reason. And the first thing that he says is they threw dice for his gear. <laughs> Jesus, they strip him naked. He was wearing probably five things, okay? And there was four Roman soldiers that were crucifying. Five things, 
four things. Roman law stated that part of the what the part of the, the the payment to these Roman soldiers is they got all of the stuff that was with these people that they were crucifying. That was part of their payment. So they would have gotten Jesus's shoes, his head program, his outer garment, everything, and and there would have been four pieces, a belt, and they and they would have taken these four pieces because they were they were kind of even. And then there was one thing that was worth more than all the other things. His his undergarment. His undergarment would have been the fifth thing. There's only four of them. And they says they don't want to tear it apart. Then it's not that it doesn't have any value. So what do they do? What would you do? What, what would you expect? Like I work for the fire department and we love playing games. And it's not a it's just about winning. It's not about what you're winning. They just want to win, right? And so they play these little games, and one of the things they would do is they would they would cast lots, which is kind of like rolling dice. And they would figure out who was going to win. And it says they did that. That's normal. That would have been normal for these people to do that. But John points out it was a fulfillment of prophecy. What is he talking about? In Psalm 22:18. Let's look here for a second. The book of Psalms, you guys have heard of the book of Psalms, right? The book of Psalms is an Old Testament book. It's written about a thousand years before Jesus dies on the cross. Psalm 22 is a very special psalm about Jesus' death. How many of you guys, if you've ever been on an Easter service, and you know that when Jesus, one of the things Jesus said when he was dying was, Lord, Lord, why are you forsaking me? And we always think, oh, he's describing how bad it feels. He probably is describing how bad it is, but there's one other thing he's doing. He's quoting Psalm 22.1. That's exactly what it says a thousand years ago. That's exactly how Psalm 22 starts. He's saying, what's going on right now? Go read Psalm 22. I'm fulfilling it. The interesting thing about this, if you read Psalm 22, there's so many details. Amazing. But Psalm 22 is written a thousand years before Jesus dies on the cross. It gives details about a crucifixion type death. Like to the T. Guess what? It wasn't even invented yet. Crucifixion wasn't even invented till around 500 B.C. by the Persians. So 500 years before it's even invented, they're talking about details of this death of the Messiah. How could you do that? How do people not believe it? It blows my mind when you think you must not know this stuff. But now you do. Psalm 22, 18, they divided my garments among them, and for my clothing they cast lots. A thousand years before it happened. If that was just one thing, I'd already be amazed. He keeps going. He goes, and then in verse 28 and 29, he says, I thirst. Okay, oh, I thirst, right? <laughs> like, you're, you just got beat up and you're probably going to be thirsty. Like, what's the big deal? Well, John sees it as a big deal. John sees it as a big deal. He, 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 there's, there's, there's a lot of debate of what this means, but in Psalm 28 and 29, he goes, after this, Jesus, knowing that all was finished, said to fulfill scripture, I thirst. And then a, a, a jar full of sour wine stood there, so they put a sponge full of sour wine on a hyssop branch and held it to his mouth. So Psalm 22, same Psalm, Psalm 22:15 says, my strength is dried up like a potsherd, and my tongue sticks to my jaws. You lay me in the dust of death. Another psalm, Psalm 69, 21 says, They gave me poison for food, and for my thirst they gave me sour wine to drink. 
He goes on. He says there's more prophecy in here. Pierced, but not, not one broken bone. Two more. It says in verse 36 and 37, For these things took place that the scriptures might be fulfilled. Not one of his bones will be broken. And again, another scripture says, They will look on him whom they have pierced. To not have your legs broken in Jerusalem and be crucified is weird. It's not normal. They've actually found bones, skeletons, of, of, of people who are crucified, and their legs are broken. And it's, it's like this, it's, like we, see, we see the other two. Every, all the marks of it are there. And you go, this person was crucified. They didn't break Jesus' legs. And not only was that just weird for the time, but he's saying this was a fulfillment of prophecy. John is pointing this out. In Exodus 12, 46, in the Old Testament, more than a thousand years before Jesus, it shall be eaten. It's talking about the Passover lamb. The Jewish people would, would eat the Passover. When is Jesus being crucified? During the Passover. What is the Passover? It's a very Old Testament celebration that the Bible talks about in which you would sacrifice the Paschal lamb, the Passover lamb, and that Passover lamb was, was, was being sacrificed to atone for the sins of the people. And they would, take, they would take some of the blood on a hyssop branch. Do you remember that in the story here? That's what they gave to Jesus. And they would rub it on the, on the doorpost, and then the, the angel of death would pass by. That was, that was the, what they believed. This, this lamb was dying in our place. He was dying for our sins. That's the Passover. Jesus is here dying for our sins. He's the Passover. He's the Paschal Lamb. He's, he's, and, and what does it say about the Paschal Lamb in the Old Testament? It says, this Paschal Lamb, it shall be eaten in one house. You shall not take any of the flesh outside the house. It was in Jerusalem, Jesus. All this happens in Jerusalem, right? And you shall not break any of its bones. It says it again in Numbers. So there's one there's one angle of this. Also, look in Psalm 34, 20. In Psalm 34, 20, the context is this righteous man that God, even though everything in his life is falling apart, he wants this righteous man to know everything's falling apart, but I still love you, and I'm still for you, and I still got you. <laughs> in Psalm 34, 20, it says, he keeps all his bones, not one of them is broken. That's what... John is saying, he's like, these guys, we're talking about this. In Zechariah 12.10, this is another Old Testament prophecy. It talks about being pierced. This is about the Messiah. The Messiah, I will pour out on the house of David, Jerusalem, the Israelites, and the inhabitants of Jerusalem, a spirit of grace and pleas for mercy. They're going to realize they need grace and mercy. Pleas for mercy is, God, have mercy on me. I'm going to pour it out. I'm going to help them see that they need me. It's what this is saying. So that when they look on me, on whom they have pierced, they shall mourn for him as one mourns for an only child. Is Jesus the only son of God? This, is, this, is pro this, is, this wasn't made up after Jesus died, my guy, my friend. And they weep bitterly over him as one weeps over the firstborn. So John... You know, you look at these things, and there's so many more. What I want you to see is that John is writing this, and he makes it very clear. I want you to understand something about this. 
This, this, what's di- doing on the cross, this wasn't something that the Jewish leaders made up because they were mad at Jesus. This wasn't something that Pontius Pilate had the authority to, 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 to bring about. Jesus already said that. This is something that's, from the time when sin came into the world, Jesus began, had this plan of how he was going to have this central moment in time that was going to reverberate, that was going to spread, that was going to ripple all the way back and all the way forward in time. It is the central moment in history. So why is Jesus dying? In your notes, Jesus paid for our sin once for all. So John takes you backwards. He says, look, this is a fulfillment of what they said was going to happen. And now he takes you to that very moment. When we're looking at that very moment, it's not this very moment. It's the moment Jesus is dying. And then he's going to take you forward to now and beyond. Now we're looking at that moment. Why did Jesus die? The first thing we need to know is that he was completely innocent. In John 19.4, in the same chapter, Pilate went out, the Roman governor, he went out again and said to them, See, I am bringing him out to you, that you may know that I find no guilt in him. Jesus isn't guilty. He didn't die because he's guilty. Paul says in 2 Corinthians 5.21, he goes, For our sake, he made him, Jesus, to be sin, who knew no sin, so that in him we, may, we might become the righteousness of God. Jesus is dying. He's dying a death he didn't deserve. He's dying the death I deserved so that he could give me the righteousness I haven't earned and the right standing with God that I can't do. There's something that we can't do on our own, you guys. That's what he's saying. If you think Christianity is about like, okay, I'm going to make a decision to be a better person and then God will like me more. It doesn't work that way. You never can. Jesus died on the cross for sinners. When, when we were yet sinners, it says in Romans 5, when we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Not after we fixed ourselves. So he was completely innocent. He was undeniably dead. This is something John wants you to know. In John's day, he's not writing right after the cross. He's writing almost, or almost 70 years later. Right? Around, a, around the, the turn of the century, uh, 100 uh, A.D. He's writing, probably in the 90s. And he's writing about what he saw as an eyewitness. And he's writing to people who he wants to convince, he says, to believe. Like he believes. That's why he's doing this. And one of their hang-ups was, see, everybody believed in that time that, that, that Jesus was seen again after his death. Historically, Jesus was seen again after his death. Paul, in 1 Corinthians 15, he says, there was 500 eyewitnesses that saw Jesus alive after his death. In Acts chapter 1, this is a, this is a Gentile uh, doctor that wrote the book of Acts. And in the first chapter, he said, he was with these people for 40 days. He didn't go immediately to heaven. For 40 days, he was showing people his hands. He was having conversations. He had a fish breakfast with them. For 40 days. And over 500 people. So some people had thought, well, maybe some people just had a hallucination. And they thought they saw Jesus. Here's what I know about, I don't know that much about drugs, but I know 500 people don't have the same hallucination at the same time. And I know this. 
if you make a claim, there's 500 people that, that, that saw this, and you're trying to stop it, all you have to do is go, okay, just bring one. Why didn't they do that? Because they had all talked to the people who were saying the same things. They knew them. There was 500 people at least saying, we saw Jesus alive after he was dead. So if you can't stop that belief that Jesus rose from the dead, what's the next less logical thing? Well, maybe he didn't even die. That was their angle. Well, he didn't die. Maybe they gave him some drugs and he fell asleep. Maybe, maybe, maybe something else. Because they knew the address of his tomb. It'll tell you next week, Joseph of Arimathea was a very rich Jewish man. And you could have looked up legal records and found the address to the tomb and said, okay, look, there he is right here. You guys just had the wrong tomb. No, it was, it was, they knew it and known where it was. All of these details. The, 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 the tomb was guarded by huge Roman soldiers. How does Jesus rise from the dead? It doesn't make sense. Maybe he didn't die. That's what they would have believed. That's what John is talking about here. He's saying, no, he was undeniably dead. But when Jesus came, when they came to Jesus and saw that he was already dead, they did not break his legs, but one of the soldiers pierced his side with a spear, and at once there came out blood and water. Here's one thing I know about these Roman, these four Roman executioners. They were experts. They were expert killers. This is what they did for a living. They killed people. They looked at him, they said he was dead. They didn't break his legs because he was dead. And just in case, they took a spear and they put it in his side and water and blood came out. And there's only two medical explanations for that. One is he was beaten so bad, so traumatically, that that there was water in his chest cavity that had leaked out. That would have meant his lungs were collapsing, right? He was having a, a pneumo is what we call right his lung is collapsing and then you pierce it and the water's mixed with blood that's one one reason the other one is that it went into his literally went into his heart lining and this is the one that makes the most sense and it pierced his his pericardial sac and the blood and the water that's in there mixed together and that's what came out those are really the only two answers both of them mean he's dead we have trauma nurses that come to our, our, our if, if Jesus showed up in the trauma ward, they couldn't have saved his life. They couldn't have brought him back. He got beaten with a vibratio. He, he was carrying the cross. He couldn't even carry it. They hung him on the cross. Experts said he's dead. And just to be sure, they pierced him, and he would have died from that, surely. And then they wrapped him in all of these clothes, put him in a stale barely any oxygen uh, a tomb for three days and then he had enough strength to to get out of that and he wasn't even he had no medical attention no ivs nothing just on his own he came back from that rolled away this tomb beat up roman soldiers it's crazy it just doesn't make sense that's what john wants you to see it just it just it just it just happened and that's why he goes. He goes, look, I was an eyewitness. I was the guy he's talking about. I'm John at the cross watching all of this stuff, and I'm the one telling you so that you can believe. Because I know it's hard to believe that a, that a God would love you so much that even though you've been rejecting him your whole life, that even then he would love you so much that he would do this, die like this, so that 
you could have a friendship with him, a relationship with him that would last for eternity. It's hard to believe. I still don't understand it. But he's saying it happens. And what do we do with that? And Jesus died for sinners. Later, John writes a couple books. He writes John, the Gospel of John, and then he writes 1 John. He's really creative with his titles. Then he wrote 1 John, and then he wrote 2 John, and then guess what he wrote? 3 John, and then guess what he wrote? Right, Revelation. You guys know it. I almost tried to trick you. He wrote Revelation. But in 1 John, this is, this is later, he wrote, In this is love. Not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sin. Propitiation is a cool word, but we don't use it all the time. It means all of your sin was absorbed onto him. He took it all. He gathered it all, put it on himself, propitiated it, and died for it all once and for all. Because he loved you. And because he loved me, even when we were yet sinners. So we'll have the worship team come back up. And the last thing I want you to see is that, that this, this reverberated back into the past. He's fulfilling prophecy. He's dying on the cross. He's doing the very thing that nobody could do. That had to be done. That nobody could do but Jesus could do. And he dies on the cross. He propitiates sin. He does it because he loves us. He does it because he wants to be reconciled with us. That's why. And then John makes sure that you understand that Jesus literally goes... It is finished. But he wants you to know it's finished in that moment. But he's not done. He is not done. The ripples will carry on. John 19, 25, he goes, But standing by the cross of Jesus was his mom and his mom's sister. There's lots of cool stuff about that. But Mary, the wife of Clopas, and Mary Magdalene, when Jesus saw his mother and the disciples whom he loved standing nearby, he said to his mother, Woman, Behold your son. Then he said to his disciple, Behold your mother. And from that hour, the disciples took her to his home. This is such a tender moment. If this was Mom's Day, this would be like the perfect sermon. Although all the other stuff would be hard for Mom's Day, right? But what Jesus is doing is he's dying on a cross. He goes, it is finished. And he looks at his mom and he goes, But I'm not done taking care of you, Mom. John, my brother, I've been with you three years. Take care of my mom. John looks at him and I'll take care of your mom. And then that was the last thing and he takes his last breath. He takes care of his mom as his last will and testament by passing it on. Why? Because he's not done. I need you to take care of my mom because this is finished, but I'm not done, John. You keep going. Stuff's going to keep happening. It's about to get real. He's about to rise from the dead, spend 40 days talking about what comes next. Pentecost is going to come. Acts chapter 2, the Holy Spirit's going to come. And he's going to send these crazy, untrained people out to start the church. The church is going to get started beyond all explanation. It should have got stopped. But it kept going because the Holy Spirit is in there and the message is true. And there's all of these witnesses and they're getting beaten. They have nothing to, on this earth to gain from it but death most of them and it keeps growing and it's reverberating all the way till this morning where John wants you to know all of this because God loves you and wants you 
And he doesn't want to live one more day without you. He wants to walk with you. It'll get messy. Not everything's going to be perfect. But he wants to go through all the mess with you.